Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. morning church our bible reading will be taken from the book of first peter chapter 5 from verse 12 to 14 at the end of the reading i will say this is the word of the lord and you are to please respond by saying thanks be to god that is first peter 5 12 to 14 i read with the help of silas whom i regard as a faithful brother i have written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Oh God, um, awaken our hearts this morning as we hear from you, we pray that you would um, let your word pierce our hearts, um, our thoughts, our spirit, our souls. Um, we pray that um, your word bear fruit in us. Um, thank you, God. Thank you, because your spirit helps us. Amen. Um, thank you for joining us. My name is Dam Lola. Um, thank you for joining, especially if this is your first time. If this is your second time, thank you. Third time, fourth time. If this is your fourteenth time of joining us, thank you. You know, we're doing this series now on First Peter for 14 Sundays. This is the 14th Sunday. This is the last Sunday. So if you joined us throughout this series, we are glad that you've stayed with us. Um, and the text that was just read to us on First Peter 5, um, you see um, Peter saying that, you see, I have written to you briefly. Briefly, briefly, and we've preached some of us already tired, like, man, this suffering talk every Sunday for 14 Sundays. Man, you, like, in some churches, some ministers undo these texts. Like, they will take 30 sermons or 40 sermons from this, from this book of First Peter. So we should be chilled and glad. And some of us cannot wait to go into the next series. You know, last Sunday, you heard Pastor Femi talk about, oh, the next series is going to be a rewired series. We're going to talk about faith and technology. You know, that is really exciting, man. I just want to get into that. But you see what Peter said? Peter said that I have written to you briefly, encouraging you. So these old sermons have been about encouraging us. Like everything we've seen in this text have been about encouraging us. Um, and so my question to you, my first question to us today is that have we been encouraged? You know, when we heard the first sermon, who is a Christian? You know, where we learned that, see, we've been chosen since, like we are heirs. We are born into a living hope that cannot be compared to investing in Qatar. It cannot be compared to being a Qatari um, citizen, regardless of their GDP. You know, did that not encourage us? Has that not been encouraging? Or when we heard in, like, in the, in the ninth sermon, um, suffering and smiling from, from chapter 3, from First Peter chapter 3, you know, where Emmanuel encouraged us that, you see, we can suffer and smile 
like that famous fella song, because um, nothing can be done to us ultimately. We cannot be ultimately armed, so we can smile in spite of whatever we're going through. You know, we saw again in, like last, like last week, um, how to resist the devil um, in this same chapter 5. You know, I'm encourage us to see that the devil is working so hard to make our lives scattered like broken glasses. But our God is a faithful creator. God is so creative. God is a beautiful artist. He's weaving every part of our life into a beautiful glass art mosaic. It is, is encouraging. I've spoken to a few people who have been really encouraged. Um, I know many of us watching have been encouraged. Myself, I have been encouraged. But you see what Peter said? Um, Peter says that, he said, I've written this to encourage you, but I've also written this to testify that this is the true grace of God. Or you may say you don't need this kind of encouragement, but Peter is saying, no. He said, this is not just about encouraging. This is also to testify to you that this is the true grace of God. And you know, this part of the letter is as if Peter is done with saying everything he wants to say. And then this seems like some kind of NB, some kind of um, take notes or postscript. And so he's done what he's saying. And then he's saying that, you see, all I have written to you uh, briefly to encourage you, all that I've written. You see, everything that Peter has been saying from chapter 1 to chapter 5 about our present difficulties and hardships. Everything that Peter has been saying about how we ought to live because of our hardships, because of our suffering, in spite of our hardships and our sufferings. All the doctrines that he has been teaching us, knowing the circumstances that we are in. He's saying all this, all this that I've written to you, all these sermons that you've heard in these weeks. He said, the, this is the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. And you know, I found myself listening to um, um, the... The sixth sermon in the series, dealing with unjust suffering this week for about two to three times, you know, over and over again. In light of the current things going on in our world, you know, the rape issues, the, um, the fightings and killings in Taraba between the Jokun and the Thief tribe, um, the murder, the continuous murdering of black men in the U.S. And saying, man, this is, these are oppressed groups, these are minorities, these are people suffering unjustly, like how will God deal with this? How, how, how should we look at this? Why is there looting? People have been confused. Oh, they should not loot. Or some people say, ah, they can't loot. They've been oppressed for so long. Or some people say, oh, man has come. Or some people are saying, oh, why did she go and read inside the church? We should not be raped. She brought that harm on herself. You see, but in that sermon, and in that part, in that chapter 2, we were able to see that, you see, we are not just, we can't, we can't revenge. We can't, um, act as we like because we are limited in knowledge because God is the one who is just only him is just and so obediency is, is, is but I was also able to see that in a time like this when there are many Christians who have reascended in culture or Christians who have resources some of them some of us are those kind of Christians God is not only looking for our transformation of our hearts and our lives, God is also saying, "How can we walk towards? How can we walk towards change and justice by using peaceful and lawful confrontation?" You see, that someone not only encouraged me, but that someone carried so much truth that it exerted a holy influence on me. And Peter is saying that this, that someone, that truth. He said, "This is the true grace of God." 
Is it but the question that I've not stop, I've not been able to stop asking myself after listening um, to the sermons over and over again is this like how long will my ginger last? Like how long will my gra gra? My initial gra, how will it continue? You know, that's the question. Because that's what matters, right? And when Peter said this is the true grace of God, his next his next um, injunction is that stand fast in it. Still in the verse 12. It says, stand fast in it. You know, this means to be resolute, to um, remain firmly in a position. And it's in that position, is in this truth, in this true grace of God. So how fast can I hold? And many of us have seen this, um, the fruit snack challenge, you know, for kids all over um, social media, where um, children are given bowls of fruit snacks and they are recorded secretly unknown to them. And their parents want to see how long they can wait. So if they can, wait until their parent asks them to eat the fruit snack. And you see many, many children try all kinds of means to remain resolute, to stand fast. You know, some will shut their eyes, some counting, some singing, some just going back and forth, trying to touch it and bring their hand out, trying to touch it and bring their hand out. You know, in those children, I see myself. In those, in those children, some of us should see ourselves. Like... When we hear that in these times of suffering, we should make our lives count out. He said, when Pastor told us, he said, um, you know, you should consider, you know, in these COVID times, in this pandemic season, try to, um, try to limit the number, for instance, try to limit the number of meats that you eat or try to limit the number of meals that you have in your house so that you can have much more to even give others. You know, that someone was hot that week, was born in or in our hearts, those weeks. But if I ask you now, six, seven weeks after, like how far, how well are you standing fast in that? Are you know, like those children who can't wait for a few minutes or you can't wait for a few weeks or a few days before you go back to your way of living? So another question is, so in line of this, so are you living simply so that us can simply live? Are you being resolute? Are you standing firm in your position? Are you making your life count? And so, how we can stand fast is what this sermon is about today. And there are four or so persons or set of people that we're going to see in this text that would help us, that we're going to see in this postscript that will help us understand how to stand fast. And the first person we see is Silas. Um, you see, Peter starts this part by saying, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. With the help of Silas. He said, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying. So with the help of Silas. This is the things we need to know about Silas. If we're going to learn from him how to stand fast. He says, Silas was the one who took um, the letter to the people. So Silas, many of us maybe also wrote part of the letter. But what we know for sure is that he took the letter to the port where the letter now went to, or to the different people that the letter was meant for. It says Silas is recorded to be the co-author alongside Paul and Timothy of the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Silas preached with Paul and Timothy, um, and here we see Peter calling him a faithful brother. So this guy is more than a mere logistics guy. He's, mere, he's more, than a, more than a delivery guy. This guy was a faithful brother. You see, even in Acts 15, this is where we listen to God's faithfulness. In Acts 15, from 22 35, you know what he said of Silas when the leaders of the church in Jerusalem 
and we're sending a letter. So this guy is used to doing this kind of work, but he does it in a very different way. He does it with so much faithfulness. He said, when I send a letter to the church in, uh, to the people in Antioch, they sent Paul and Barnabas. But they said, okay, Silas and Barnabas, go with them. Barnabas also called Judas, go with them. And so when they went with them, you see, Silas and Barnabas spent their time, after delivering this letter, they spent time encouraging the people, as Acts 15 puts it, encouraging the people, strengthening them. See, this guy is the kind of selfless leader, the kind of willing watcher, the kind of evident example that we learn of, that we learned about in how to experience God's mighty hand when we considered the first seven verses in chapter five. It's 12 sermon in this series. A willing watcher, a selfless leader, an evident example. And for us to stand fast as Christians in this true grace of God that Peter has been showing us, we will need the help of faithful brothers like Silas. We will need the help of faithful sisters like Silas. You see, we will need the help of people who can point us to the true grace of God. Um, just thinking of logistics guy, you know, what comes to my mind are those times when, um, how many of us remember those days when we used to use antenna? Many people don't use antenna anymore, area. Um, and very funny, I just tried to think of it, and this was very, very funny to me. You know, with DSTV, Arial. So you have, um, you have this area. At first, later on, um, you have this area, and the, you know, later on, we add these remotes that you use to control the area. So, you know, when they, when they did that one, you press remote from inside house. I don't know what, what's the name of the area, whether it's super mat or super box. I can't remember the exact name of one of those areas that we used to buy. So you just sit down in your house and then you press the remote to be shaken and your AIT will be clear and NT will be very clear, sharp. And that's too powerful us. But before then, what you had was um, maybe you go, you go and buy your antenna, um, you fix it. And I remember my dad, when I want to watch some matches, my dad would tell me that I should go and, because our antenna at that time, one of our antennas was using those antennas that already broke, one hand has broken, this side has broken, this left has broken. <laughs> so I had to go stand outside. You will hold the antenna down for him to watch his wrestling match or his boxing match. Like you hold it, you shake, you will shout out from the window and say, hey, it's not clear again, no, it's not clear again, no. But I turn it to the other side, so we we'll turn it. Oh, I adjust it. That was the struggle that we used to go through. But there are some guys that used to be of help. They became prominent like the DSTV time. But they used to do stuff like antenna time. So you go and buy an antenna from very good people that sell. And then they will not just give you the box of this antenna. They will follow you home. So they will follow you home. They will say, where's your TV? The entire house. Okay, this kind of TV I use you now. Okay, okay. So they'll go outside. They'll set it. They'll direct it. You'll be inside the house. They'll tell you, you don't the show. You say, I oh, know, you never the show. You don't the show. You never the show. They will set it down and just say, ah, everything don't clear. AIT, you don't clear. Check ammo, you don't clear. NTA, you don't clear. This is, you don't clear. You see, and Silas is like that kind of guy. You see, Silas, Silas are people who do not just say, who come to us, who go the extra mile and pointing us to the true grace of God, saying, oh, this is what it means for you to be a Christian in suffering. This is what it means for you to deal with people that are going through tough conditions. This is what it means for you to stand fast. They help us. You see, Silas are people, you know, like Paul, some of us remember Paul and Silas to be um, the, um, 
the guys, you, see, you know that popular song that we used to sing then? And Paul and Silas, they prayed, they sang after singing, the Holy Ghost came down. You see, Paul and Silas, they, Silas was a man who, who had um, fireproof joy. And so they were locked up in jail, but they were still able, was the kind of guy that was able to pray and sing despite the suffering, despite the pain. They were being flogged and they were jailed. And they could still sing and pray. And God delivered them miraculously. These are the kind of people that we need in our lives. You know, to help us stand fast in the true grace of God. And so, we do not just need people who will say, um, don't worry, don't worry, and tell us in all kinds of um, pleasant nothings, you know, banalities. But we need people like this who can encourage and strengthen us in hardship. And this will enable us to stand fast. But some of us will say, ah, but I don't know how to um, stand fast. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have, oh, I don't even know people like that, that are this solid, that are this strong, like Silas, who are able to encourage even in times of hardship and pain. Like they will leave their own and then come to my own. Or let's say I won't find them. What about me? Will I always be the person that is encouraged, that is being encouraged? Will I not be a person who encourages others too um, in standing fast? And that makes us uh, move to the second person I want us to look at, and that is Mark. You see, verse 13, Peter writes, She who is in Babylon, choosing together with you, sends you our greetings, and so does my son Mark. My son Mark sends you greetings. He says hi. Um, like someone they know, or someone they might know. Um, and he's saying, this guy says hi. You know, he mentioned him. He didn't mention it, but he mentioned him. I think it's of note. There's something we can see here. You see, Mark, known as John Mark, um, sometimes referred to as John, sometimes referred to as Mark or John Mark. I'm not really a biological son of Peter, but he's a very close associate of Peter. It was his house that Peter um, first ran to after he was um, miraculously rescued by an angel when he was jailed. You know, miraculously led, um, was, he, he ran to Peter, Mark's house first, Mark's mother's house. You see, Mark worked closely with Peter. And even, um, he was the one who wrote the book of Mark, like the book of um, the Gospel of Mark. And that is the oldest gospel. And historians make us see that um, he wrote this book majorly by walking, like hearing Peter preach the gospel, hearing Peter um, teach the gospel. That was how I was able to write this book. But Mark was not always standing fast. He wasn't. In Acts 13, 25, um, we first see, in Acts 12, 25, rather, we first see Mark going out with Barnabas and Paul, um, who was mentioned as, as Saul then, to do missionary work. In 13, verse 4, we see him referred to as the helper of Barnabas and Paul. But then, in 13, 13, verse 13, it was said that Mark left them. Oh, he left them. Oh, we don't know why. We're not sure. Um, there's not really a huge consensus on why. But we're able to get a better picture of this living, of what might have happened when in chapter 15, 37 to 39, Paul and Barnabas parted. They had a huge disagreement. What about their disagreement? It was John Mark. Oh, Paul said, no, we can't go with John Mark. Our Barnabas said, we have to go with him. He said, oh, why? Paul said, why must we go with him? Uh, Mark that deserted us. He said, deserted us at Pamphylia. He said, Mark deserted us, and he did not continue in the work. He didn't stand fast. 
And so Peter, Paul said that it was not wise to take him. Was it that the work was so hard um, before? Because we find around that time, the Paul and Barnabas went to preach in Cyprus, and maybe only one person converted. It was Mark discouraged, and then he went back. Or was it because he just felt this is not the path for me, and then he deserted them? But what the point that we need to see here was Mark was not a guy who always stood fast. Is he like unlike Silas? You see, when Silas leaves, Silas is leaving because they are sending him. Silas is leaving because he's to go and do work. He's to go and do delivery plus extra supporting, plus extra strengthening and extra encouraging. You see, but when Mark leaves there, Mark left because he deserted the work. Mark left because he was not helping. Mark left because he was not continuing in the work. And to many of us that may feel this way, we must remember that in third sermon, the young shall grow. Who in chapter we saw we saw that in like from chapter in chapter one verses thirteen to two verse three that there is room to grow in holiness. That was what we learned. That there is a foundation and strategy for holiness. You see, we don't look down on ourselves when we find that we are drawing back, when we find that we are not standing fast enough, when we find that we are not resolute enough. We don't say, ah, I can never stand fast. I know this true grace of God is not something that me can remain resolute in. Look at Mark. I want you to look at Mark and be encouraged. Because later on in Colossians 4, verse 13, this same Paul that I said it is not wise for us to take Mark. See what he said? He said, he was writing to Colossians and saying, Mark is coming to you. He said, you see, welcome him. In Philemon 24, he says, greetings again from Mark. He was writing to Philemon and he says, greetings from Mark. And he called Mark, he said, my fellow worker. He called Mark. This same Mark that he had a sharp disagreement with Barnabas with. This same Mark that, did not stand, that was not standing fast. It's in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. This is, this is where it was so clear. This is where Mark's growth um, in holiness, this is where Mark's resolve is shown to have grown much stronger. You see what Paul said? Paul said, only Luke is with me. I was writing to Timothy. He said, only Luke is with me. Um, please send Mark also because he is helpful to me in ministry. It, no matter how, no matter where you are, no matter um, how well or how weak you are standing in the true grace of God, I want to say to you that just like Mark, you can look at Mark and see that you can grow in your resolve. You can stand fast. You can advance in how well you stand. You see, but there's a third group of people that we need to see. And you see, in that 13, it says, She who is in Babylon. Because some of us are tired of all this. Like, every time, oh, suffering is for you. This is the work of God in your life. And stand fast, old, endure. Because God is working out something. Saying, okay, yes, I am going to endure. But man, this is becoming so much. Some non-Christians can even look at you. Some of us might be because some non-Christians. Some people do not even trust in God as much as you. And they look at you and say, man, your condition is never different from my own. Like, what is different? We are living in this old same world. Like, we are suffering the same suffering. We are going through the same pain. Corona is catching you, Christian. Corona is catching us. They are killing you, Christians, in the war. And look at even Christian black people are being stepped upon. Oh, it does not matter whether you're Christian or not, and they are, they are raping you. 
oh, there's so, there are so many churches, and look at all the evil and the suffering that the world is going through. I know what Peter's response to that is. Peter says, she who is in Babylon. And when Peter says, she who is in Babylon, yeah, Peter is not just saying that actual Babylon. When he says Babylon, he's using Babylon as some kind of word to represent exile. Like the church, she, the people who are not where they are supposed to be. You know, earlier in the letter in chapter 1, verses 1, he has said, see, this letter is to the exiles scattered across in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, all over the place. So Peter is saying, so we read our exiles. This is what I send this letter to you. You see, he's trying to remind them and saying, see, we are exiles. We are foreigners too. Like we, we, this is, this is what you must remember. Yes. Oh, they may say to you, um, we are all looking at the same thing. But what we say to non-Christians, what we say to people who do not trust God, you see, yes, though we might be in the same place today, but we are not headed for the same place. Though we might be in the same position now, sort of, but we are not headed for the same destination. And some of us will say, um, look at it, we are reacting. We are saying that, man, eh, I don't really want to. You see, as Peter is saying, she was in Babylon. Peter is saying, there's a time when we will no longer be here. There's no time when we're not being, but we're foreigners here. We're going to return home. But some of us were used to saying, um, you know, I know I, I'm a Christian. I love God. I love Christ. I want, but I don't want Christ to come now. Let me first enjoy my life here. That is the reaction of some, mostly young people. Mostly people who are having it so good now. Because you, something's going to happen soon. Something's going to happen sometime. Or there are some people who say that, man... There's some people who have actually grown comfortable with the suffering, with the pain, with the conditions. They're used to it. You know how you get so broke, so poor? You know, I've been so that, that I've been made in conditions like that. And they'll give you, they'll give you, they can give you tea fair. And they'll say, uh uh-uh. make sure you enter both today. And say, uh uh-uh. no, from here to this thing. Yeah, no, it's not far now. Uh-uh. Something that I'll quickly reach there now. Or they give you say, uh-uh, why? I don't know why somebody will um have fufu and then and you have vegetable, you have small money, you still want to buy meat. <laughs> it's a waste of this thing now. Some of us as Christians are become, okay, this, I've now taking the suffering as an identity. I'm thinking that this is Christians are men, so Christians, Christians, um, the suffering is good. Suffering is fine. Suffering is well. And we've taken it to the point where we are forgotten there were foreigners here, were exiles here, where people should be questioning and saying, sometimes, man, this whole thing, I want it to end. I can't wait for the world that is to come. And when you begin to think like that, Peter is saying that that helps you to be able to stand fast now and today. This is not our last bus stop. But Peter says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you. So this is not just for um, we around here, you know, because you look at everyone around you, you guys are going through the same kind of pain. So generally, the stuff you are going through is largely the same, you know, as much as you can see. Obida is speaking to the people, writing people from another place where their circumstances, their conditions, their sufferings does not look like what these guys are going through in all over these places. The region is different. And he says, see, we that were here, whether you're a Christian or a brother or a sister, a church in Pakistan, or a church in Nigeria, it says, we are all exiles. We are all in our Babylon, and we have been chosen together. Whether you live in Banana Island or Ketu, whether you are, whether you are the preacher or you are the listener, it says, we've been chosen together. Oh, whether 
you became a Christian today, or you've been a Christian for 20 years, you see, we have been chosen together. Whether you're Silas or Mark, we've been chosen together. Whether you are even Peter that wrote the text or Dami, says, we have been chosen together. You see, and we learn that this chosen, um, when Peter uses the word chosen, as we saw in the first sermon, the first um, chapter one, that chosen is, you see, Christians, the, all of us who are believers and worshippers of God, we've been chosen before time. Before time. Before time began, we've been chosen. We've been chosen by God through an agency for a purpose, the purpose of being obedient to Christ. We've been chosen before time. Is it? But we've also been chosen before because before time, there was no place, there was no part of the world. We've been chosen before place, before Babylon, before Nigeria, before Africa, before America. We've been chosen long before. And so we must not forget this, that we're foreigners. We've been chosen. You see, we've been held fast. We've been chosen, and we have been chosen to remain, to stand strong, to hold fast. In fact, there is nothing that can make us fall off. And we are a chosen family, called to live in this kind of unifying encouragement, called to live in this kind of um, raising each other up, regardless of how weak and how strong we are as we saw in chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. We're a chosen family. So you see, it is like when you are going to a place and um, you, know, you are going to a place that you don't know the bus stop, um, you, don't know the, you don't know where the place is, so you just go to the bus stop, but then you told the driver, the conductor, um, that I'm going to some so place. This is where I'm going. Oh, please oh, don't drop in my bus stop. Oh, please don't let me miss my road. Oh. And I say, okay, okay. But you know, conductors and drivers usually forget. And then you guys keep going. You guys keep going. And everybody keeps dropping off. Everybody keeps dropping off. Everybody keeps dropping off. Look, ah, I'm not going to your place. You're so, you're anxious. You're worried. You're not in a good position. Like, ah, where's, where's, what's happening here? But everybody's dropping. At some point, some of us have not tried. You want to come down. I say, ah, no, this is not, where are you going? No, this is not the place. So you sit back. And it's like everybody has dropped off. And it's just you. Or maybe there's one other woman in the front too. And then the woman is asking the driver and saying, and where now? We never reach there. So no, we never reach there. No worry. Don't me tell you. I go carry you go where they go. See, that man for back. Two of now. And I go the same place. I go drop. I know where. No be me. I don't need this word for. I go go drop or now for when I go. And this is like what Peter is saying. That she who is in Babylon, you have been chosen together with you. God is the one who has chosen us. God knows where he's taking us. And he will take us there, regardless of how confused, regardless of how weak we are standing today, regardless of how unsure we might be, regardless of how, um, how, how well we may not feel, how everyone is seeming to get it good, dropping off, coming off, getting to their destination, sort of, and we are not getting there. He's saying, no, I've chosen you. I'm going to take you where I'm going to take you. If you've worn this jersey in suffering and pain, this Jesus jersey in suffering, you see, when we suffer, when we lose, we're also going to win together. It doesn't matter where you're playing defense, you're playing attack, you're on the bench, or you're on the feeder's team. We are going to end up where God wants us to end up. Don't be surprised by suffering. As Peter admonishes us in chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. 
But brothers and sisters, this is not um, the last set of persons we're going to see. This is not the last person. You see, the last person that Peter refers to here is the last but not the least. In fact, I think this is one of the times when the last but not the least is actually true. This is one of the few times. People just say the last but not the least, the last but not the least. But sometimes that last is the least. They're just using it to say something. But this is actually the time when the last is not definitely the least. In fact, the last is the greatest. It's the last person here. In fact, this is the last word in Peter's letter. He said, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Christ, the last person. We've just seen she who is in Babylon. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You know, Peter has been saying that this true grace of God, this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And he's now saying peace. It is not a way for him to just end the letter. You know, it's a benediction, but it's, it holds a lot of truth. It's not like when you are leaving a place, you know, some people when they're done doing an interview, like all these celebs, they just say, peace, peace out. Like, what does it even mean? And then everybody, many, you see many who do they just, peace, peace. What does it mean? No, this is not what Peter is saying. You see, what Peter is saying is that you've seen Silas. Now we've seen, in this text, this is what I think, this is what I want us to draw from this. We've seen Silas, how we need the help of Silas. We've seen how we need to look at Mark and look at ourselves and say, no matter where I am, I can stand fast, I can move, I can grow in holiness. We've seen she who is in Babylon, chosen together with God. But yeah, Paul, we've seen all these persons. You see, but in the end, this true grace, all these persons that we've seen, you see, this true grace is a person. All the persons that we have seen are at best conduits of this true grace. Faithful brethren, they are strong. They are conduits of true grace. The not so strong ones, they are conduits of this true grace. Those whose lives look nothing like your own, but I need with you, they are mere conduits of this true grace. This true grace is actually a person. You see, in John 14 to 16, um, <laughs> this, this is a very, this is so interesting. You see, in John 14 to 16, Jesus was encouraging his disciples. He's telling them, you see, he's telling them about what he's about to go through. Man, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to leave you guys. You guys are going to be in pain. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You guys are also going to suffer. You're going to go in pain. You're going to see hardships. Peter was one of these disciples. But you know what Jesus was telling them also? Jesus was also telling them that, you see, um, but I'm not going to leave you as you are. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He said, I'm going to send you a helper. A helper that is better than Silas. He's saying, yes, I know. You see, because when we see Jesus talk about suffering here, and Peter is talking about suffering, so we see that this is not a common thing. This is not something that Peter is just trying to pull up from his own theology. We see that this is something that has been talked about, that Jesus has been talking about. This is the Christian brand. This is a stable, this is a stable brand. This is a stable identity of the Christian. We're going to go through suffering. Jesus has said it, and Peter is just corroborating it. But he's saying, I'm not going to leave you like that. I'm going to send you a helper. Because like in every bar, in every relationship that matters well, that goes well, like in every marriage, you know, things are going to go bad. Oh, some one is not going to treat the other person well. He says, some of you are not going to treat me well. Some of you are going to leave me. Jesus was telling them. Some of you are going to disappoint me. Some of you are going to deny me. Some of you are going to betray me. He said, but I will treat you better than you treat me. That is how good marriages strive, as we learn for, for worse, for better. In chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, he said, I will treat you better than you treat me. 
I will never leave you. I will stand fast. I will not desert you like Mark. And look at how he ends that part, that chapter 16, verse 33. See what he says. Just similar to what Peter said. Peter said, I have written to you briefly. See what Jesus said. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Peace to all of you. I have told you these things. These things. All these things that I've written to you. All these things I've said to you. Just like Peter, he said, these things, so that you can have peace. So that you can have peace. Christ is the true grace of God. You see, when we look at his, is it peace to all, who, to, all to you who, who are in Christ? You see, those who put their trust in his sufferings, in his death and his resurrection, in all that God has afforded them. In all that God has afforded them, seeing that, see, this has been done before the foundation of the world. Oh, this gives them peace now in this life, and this gives them some kind of hope, some kind of grand future. Say peace to all who are in Christ. This is the true grace of God. You see, and so as we end this um, series, I hope that um, we'll find. I hope. I hope that we we find this encouragement. I hope we found this encouragement in this. We found confirmation um, for this and not giving to whatever the world may offer us, whatever kind of grace, whatever kind of so-called peace that the world may offer us. Jesus said, peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but I give to you. So you do, in this world you have, your heart to be troubled. You say, but the peace I give to you satisfies you, calms you in the midst of whatever you're going through, in the midst of whatever you are going to go through. Peace to all in Christ. And this is the true grace of God. Thank you for listening to the gospel in lagos we pray you've been blessed by this message to learn more about city church visit www.citychurchlagos.com city church love jesus love people love lagos